thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. In episode 161 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Dr. Terry Walls. Dr. Walls is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials. She's also a patient with secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which confined her to a tilt-recline wheelchair for four years. Dr. Walls restored her health using a diet and lifestyle program she designed specifically for her brain and now pedals her bike to work each day. In today's episode, you will learn about her journey back to health, how to create the most health-promoting environment possible, and how you can use food and complementary therapies to transform your life. Hi, Dr. Walls, and welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Really looking forward to firstly sharing your story and then learning more from you today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, and what led you to here today? So I'm an internal medicine physician uh, at the university, so I'm a professor of medicine. And I, like many professors of medicine, were, had been very skeptical about uh, complementary alternative medicine, therapeutic diets, uh, vitamins, supplements, etc. You know, but God has a, a mysterious way of working. I, I was diagnosed with relapse-remitting multiple sclerosis in 2000, and that was on the basis of a history of visual dimming 13 years earlier, new weakness in my left leg. I had MRI, spinal tap, and a diagnosis of relapse-remitting MS was made. Uh, and so I knew I wanted to treat my disease aggressively with the newest drugs, uh, the uh, best technology. I sought out one of the best MS centers in the country here in the States, the Cleveland Clinic, uh, saw their best people, took the newest drugs, uh, and went steadily downhill despite all of that. Uh, my doctors told me about uh, the paleo diet. And after uh, 20 years of being a vegetarian, I, I went back to eating meat. I continued to decline. The fine year, I needed a wheelchair. Uh, I took Tizabri. Uh, continued to decline, uh, and that is when it was apparent that the best drugs were not likely to stop my decline, bedridden, and quite possibly demented life. Uh, I began reading uh, scientific papers about MS, about Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, Huntington's disease, and would... Uh, uh, developed some new theories that mitochondria are really important. I started focusing on uh, a vitamin su- supplement cocktail for my mitochondria, uh, and I could tell that that was slowing my decline uh, and helped my fatigue a, a little bit, uh, but I was still declining. Uh, I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. They had a course on neuroprotection. I took that course, had a longer list of vitamins and supplements, uh, which I added, and then I had a, a really big aha moment 
that I should redesign my paleo diet to get the nutrients that I was taking in pill form from the food because there would probably be thousands of other compounds in the food that we had not yet identified. Uh, so I, I did that. And within three months, I was beginning to walk again. In six months, I was walking without a cane. In nine months, I got on my bike and pedaled around the block for the first time in six years. I'm crying. My uh, family's crying. Uh, and this really feels uh, uh, quite miraculous to us. Uh, and then at 12 months, I'm able to do an 18-mile bike ride with my family. Now, this changes how I think about disease and health. It changes the way I uh, practice medicine. And it would ultimately change uh, the research that I do. Amazing. I'm sure you've told that story a number of times. And I'm also sure that a lot of our listeners are very familiar with your story, but it's great to hear it in such a concise summary. And it really does set the scene for obviously why you do what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, and because of the personal experience, uh, I really felt like Paul on the way to Damascus. You know, this really transformed my understanding of disease and health in the way I viewed the world in my clinics and then, of course, ultimately in my research. Yeah, beautiful. So I know that you have developed the WALLS protocol. I'd love for you to talk us through that and what the mechanisms are. So um, uh, the first thing we'll we'll talk a little bit about why we become ill Um, When I went to medical school, we thought illness was because of genes, uh, and the genes cause you to have the chemistry that you do in your cells get done incorrectly, and that's what led to the organs not working very well and the symptoms and the disease states. So it was all a genetic problem. Uh, But now uh, we've come to appreciate that it's an interaction between genes you have and these environmental factors. And we know that for MS, for the vast majority of people, the genetic risk component is only about 5% uh, is due to your genes. At most, uh, even if you have two parents with MS, the risk is still, from your genes, it's still only 30%. The, for the vast, vast majority of folks, between 70 and 95% of the risk uh, is your lifetime of food choices, uh, physical activity choices. Uh, uh, and other life choices in your environmental exposures. Mm. Uh, and so the beauty of what I've done with the loss protocol is I've gone into the science and, and I've said, okay, what does the science say about what are all the things that we can do in diet quality, physical activity level, stress management, hormone balance, environmental exposures to create the most health-promoting environment that is possible? And so. Uh, I designed for myself this very intensive program, and I did that back in 2000. You know, I really started tinkering myself in 2004, and I really ramped it up in 2007. I designed all of that not to recover because I knew you can't recover from progressive MS. I just wanted to slow down my decline, and you know, to my surprise. I ended up recovering uh, a, to a dramatic, dramatic level. I, and so I uh, created a uh, dietary plan, uh, again, based on what the science says, what are the micronutrients 
we know that your brain needs. And then I went back into the nutrition science and said, okay, of these 36 nutrients that I've identified that science says are really important for brain cells, where are they in the food supply? Uh, and so I restructured my diet. Uh, it, you know, at first when I did this, I had long list of here are the foods I got to be eating. But when I started teaching my patients in the clinics, I couldn't just give them, you know, list and list and list of foods. I had to create sort of food rules and food guides, uh, which evolved. Um, so I, one could teach this. Uh, and then uh, because I'm also a uh, clinical researcher, uh, I tested these food rules out uh, to see if you followed these food rules, uh, how, how well did we do at getting you to consume those key 36 nutrients? Mm. So it's, it's been a bit of an evolution. Yeah, I can imagine. Obviously, the practical and logistical side is obviously where it's going to help others transform their lives. Correct. Now, you, you know, for your listeners, in a really uh, big, big uh, way of thinking about this, the, this first very simple thing you can do is get rid of the sugar, get rid of all the uh, sweetened beverages uh, and uh, sweet treats, uh, sweet foods that we're eating, and replace them with these radical things known as vegetables. <laughs> um, I, I, and uh, people who've heard my story know that I'm a big proponent of the magic number nine. I want people to have nine cups of vegetables uh, every day. And that's measured raw. Now, um, and they ask me, what is that in metrics? And I'll have to tell you, I don't really know. I, I would think of it just in terms of a dinner plate, three dinner plates of vegetables. Sort of heaped up so you can't see the bottom of the plate. Uh, and that would be the amount of vegetables. Uh, and this was, and I'm a tall lady, six foot tall, uh, in my uh, clinic, which is at a, a veteran affairs hospital uh, uh, here in the U.S. The majority of my patients were men. Uh, so for very petite uh, women or very small men, it's going to be proportionately less. There's no need to uh, stuff oneself. But we want you to have lots and lots of those and, and some protein. So we have strategies for people who are vegetarian and vegan for their spiritual beliefs uh, and people who are willing to eat meat. Yeah, beautiful. So in terms of your own personal experience, what do you think was one or two of the maybe more final strategies that you added that really stopped the decline? You know, um, so I've been a vegetarian for 20 years, and I think my interpretation of the vegetarian diet uh, contributed to my health decline. I went back to eating meat, and people probably know I'm very fond of the paleo diet, but the paleo diet did not stop my decline. The following, Even though I took away all grain, all legumes, all dairy, and added meat back, I still declined uh, and would need the wheelchair the next year. Then I studied... Uh, you know, the basic science and added a vitamin cocktail for my mitochondria, which slowed my decline, certainly improved my energy, but I was still declining. I did not go with that. I discovered functional medicine, had a longer list of vitamins, uh, which I added, uh, and that maybe had a little bit of improvement, which was, at the time, still immensely exciting. The, the really uh, big, dramatic change was when I had the aha moment that it's not just the micronutrients. 
it is the food and the micronutrients that I had identified, the 36 key micronutrients that we track, were markers for the kinds of food I should be eating. So when I did the research, you know, in the nutrition world to figure out where that food was and created a very structured paleo diet with all these vegetables in a very particular way, um, that was when the speed of recovery was amazingly dramatic. Mm. <coughs> so in a year, I went from being unable to sit up, struggling to walk uh, 10 feet using two walking sticks, having uh, severe exhaustion by 10 in the morning, uh, struggling uh, with brain fog, to having fatigue gone in three months, brain fog gone in three months, uh, beginning to walk with a cane in three months, walking without a cane in six months, as I said, 20 miles uh, in 12 months. Yeah, amazing. I think such a, I guess, a transformational story that comes back to that foundation of food. You mentioned the nutrients. Food is critical. Mm -hmm. Mm. Now, I I, I will say, in addition to the food, I, I was, as I said earlier, I was doing everything that I could in the textile domain. So I was adding meditative programs, uh, exercise, um, electrical stimulation of my muscles, um, a lot of positive affirmations. So I was doing a very, very comprehensive program. In my research, in my first study, it was very comprehensive like that. In my subsequent studies, we've made a much smaller, more focused interventions that were uh, just focused on uh, uh, food, and a, a dietary approach. Beautiful. Just because uh, science wants to have a, a narrower, more clean, uh, mechanistic studies. <laughs> sure does. So the 36 nutrients that you've obviously identified, is this something that applies to everyone or is it more specific to the type of condition we're dealing with? You know, it really applies to uh, people... Um, who have a neurologic problem, a mental health problem, an autoimmune problem. Clearly, this will be very beneficial for those big categories. Mm. Although I will also say the food plan and the approach that I use, uh, I used in my clinics at the VA uh, for 10 years, and we saw that this was very, very helpful for people with diabetes, uh, obesity, uh, chronic pain, and those people had chronic pain uh, from war injuries who had had uh, uh, amputations uh, and shrapnel, uh, in addition to the autoimmune, neurologic, and mental health problems. So, it, it, and that's consistent with what I see in the research that the the more nutrient dense diet the diet is, the uh, lower the rate of uh, all cause diseases, the lower the rate of cancer, the lower the rate of mental health problems, diabetes, obesity, dementia, um, food quality is profoundly, profoundly important. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So obviously we also look at the microbiome and it's a very hot topic right now, but I just wanted your thoughts on its impact in terms of Things like MS or autoimmune disorder. Oh, sure. 
you know, when I was first started talking about uh, food uh, being so powerful for MS, uh, the MS world uh, just did not know what to make of that uh, and were very, very skeptical. Uh, and even here at the university, people weren't sure what to make of me. But now that science is beginning to appreciate how the food we eat uh, will turn genes on and off through something called epigenetics, uh, and then that the food we eat will fertilize the microbes, uh, that is the yeast uh, and the bacteria in our bowels, and it will determine which uh, species will flourish and which species will, you know, wither away and atrophy away. Uh, so now people get that diet and diet quality will affect your microbiome and that the microbiome, uh, there's lots of research now showing that the microbiome revs up your immune cells to either be overly aggressive against yourself or calm against yourself, and that the microbiome also makes these little molecules that get into our bloodstream and into our uh, brain and spinal fluid and will influence behavior, mood, and the immune activity in our brain. So they call that the uh, gut-brain connection. Uh, so, you know, actually, last week um, I was meeting with our some of our microbiome uh, researchers uh, here at the university, and we're beginning to have conversations about um, making a mouse model uh, to study the the changes in the microbiome from uh, adapting some of the. Uh, diets that are being advocated uh, for people with MS. So very exciting stuff. Yeah, that's fascinating. I can't wait to learn more. What are your top strategies for looking after our microbiome? Well, um, when I'm with my patients uh, in my clinics, we, we talk a lot about poop. We all practice pooping uh, in our chairs and standing up, looking in the toilet, and then describing, you know, if we're seeing uh, poop that looks like rocks, logs, snakes, pudding, or tea. Uh, and that if people have rocks, they need more fiber in their diet, more uh, raw vegetables, uh, more green leafy salads, uh, more uh, fiber like uh, a green banana uh, f uh, flour, uh, chia seed pudding, etc. If they're having snakes, that's sort of perfect. That's the uh, poop in the zone, uh, as we would say. Uh, if they're having pudding or tea, uh, then, they're, then I'm worried that there's uh, maybe inflammatory bowel disease and we have to uh, cut back on the fiber and perhaps uh, do some investigation for bowel disease types of problems. Hmm. So you definitely start with a conversation. I think normalizing that conversation is really important with clients as well. We, because, we normalize hmm. We, we laugh about it, mm -hmm. we practice pooping, we talk about pooping rocks and snakes <laughs> and pudding and tea, just to get people comfortable that, you know, poop is a normal thing to talk about and it's a normal thing to look at and that, you know, everybody poops. Yes, absolutely. That's a really important conversation to have. And do you get your clients to look at specific um, strains of probiotics or do you introduce prebiotics or what do you do well, from a fermented food and beverage point of view? So uh, my, I, I remind everyone that it's the food you eat that determines your microbiome. 
the probiotics, and there was some very interesting research in terms of probiotics, and, and we may get uh, further guidance on how to use them. But a probiotic capsule uh, will introduce organisms. They'll pass through. They won't colonize. If you want to shift who's really living and growing in your bowels, you have to change what you eat and the more diversity of foods that you eat and the more diversity of fermented foods, as long as they're from the, what I call the allowable groups, none of the excluded groups, uh, then that would be fine. Uh, and there are uh, circumstances where I do recommend some probiotics. Um, but you know, I'd say that this is an emerging uh, field. Uh, things are changing very rapidly. There may well be a day where instead of you know paying uh, you know uh, five thousand dollars a month for for our biologic uh, uh, DMARDs, disease modifying therapies, that we'll be paying a, a lot of money uh, for our uh, probiotics uh, in very specific fermented foods. We'll see. We'll see how the, how uh, this all gets developed. But I, I certainly predict that we will, in the future, be using probiotic strains to treat mental health issues and to treat autoimmune issues. Mm. We're not there yet. Um, but, you know, I grew up on a farm. I, I don't think we need to necessarily use probiotic capsules. I, I think we need to eat lots of vegetables, diverse sorts of vegetables, and lots of diverse sorts of fermented foods. And we could just you know, fertilize the right, mi- the right microbes again. Yes, absolutely. I love that theory. What would an example of an excluded fermented food be? So um, I, uh, yeah, and this is something I talk about uh, in my book, uh, that uh, the grains contain gluten. Uh, and for people who are genetically vulnerable, their immune cells will react aggressively if they eat grain or gluten, and that will drive up the inflammation in their body and in their brain. Uh, and for many who are sensitive to grain, we are also sensitive to dairy. And for example, I, I'm very sensitive to both grain and dairy. If I have any grain or dairy, I'll have an activation of my MS-related pain in about 24 hours that is uh, uh, so severe it's incapacitating. And that's something that uh, well, we'll certainly have observed in my clinics uh, and in our clinical trials that uh, uh, there are people with autoimmune conditions that have been sensitized. Uh, and once we clean, clean up their diet, get them off these excluded foods, uh, when they are exposed to those foods again, uh, there'll be a symptom that comes back as their marker of, you know, they've gotten exposed to uh, some excluded food group. Yeah, so when it comes to like a fermented beverage, are you then referring to like a milk kefir or a milk-based so, yogurt so person? Right. So that will not work for me. Mm. Uh, so I make coconut milk mm-hmm. yogurt and a coconut milk uh, kefir, uh, which is quite delicious. Um, it, you know, and there are, uh, for example, uh, kvass, it's a Russian beverage, you can make it either out of beets or out of wheat berries. So if you made that out of wheat, that would make you terribly ill. But if you make the fermented uh, kvass out of beets, it's this beautiful magenta color. It's, it's really uh, very tasty, uh, and I like it a great deal. 
yeah. uh, uh, kombucha, and you know, is a fermented tea beverage uh, originally from China, uh, more recently from Russia, uh, very popular here in the U.S. Uh, and that also uh, is a, a lovely fermented food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kimchi, sauerkraut um, are good choices. Um, we have a lot of uh, fermented beets, uh, fermented uh, carrots, uh, and I do fermented garlics. Uh, also very lovely. Great. And really a really efficient and affordable way to start to integrate that diversity that you mentioned, obviously, next in line from our vegetables. Correct. Um, uh, here in the Midwest, uh, uh, Iowa uh, is a uh, agricultural state. Uh, people are, are uh, often uh, open to hunting, fishing, foraging uh, for their food. Uh, we talk a lot about gardening, beginning to grow uh, some uh, greens or even a tomato plant in a container garden on your deck. Uh, and all of that makes this uh, very affordable. Mm. You know, and I, I would also remind people that uh, the, the patients I took care of for uh, the previous 10 years uh, were often on disability, uh, were unemployed, had very limited financial resources. And so I was working with my patients to figure out how to implement this diet and lifestyle uh, really on a very limited uh, financial constraints. And they were useful. Uh, and they taught me, you know, some uh, very, uh, you know, sharp strategies, which was to go to the local farmer's market and walk around, uh, have a conversation with the farmers and ask them, now at the very end of the, of the market, what's the best price you could give me for all your, the produce that you have left? So you know, my, my patients were, were brilliant. They were able to get their organic vegetables uh, very inexpensively by going to the farmer's market once a week and buying up the end of the market. Yeah, I love that strategy. I think it's really important to have this conversation because when you talk to someone about the paleo diet, I'm sure this has been your experience for a number of years now, like it's really easy to assume that it's going to be quite expensive and that's a big barrier to people um, taking that next step to transform their health. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. Or people talk about, you know, that integrative medicine uh, is so expensive or functional medicine practitioners are so expensive. Uh, and, you know, my response is, well, we can always use it as an excuse to say, I can't do this because it's too expensive. But you could instead focus on, well, I'll do what is under my control. I'm going to learn how to cook at home. I'm going to uh, learn how to uh, forage for some wild greens. I'm going to learn how to uh, grow some more of my own vegetables. I'm going to collaborate with my hunting friends. So there's always far more under our control than we realize. Mm. And really, if, if my folks who are living on disability could implement all of this and thrive and get their health back, I mean, the, the 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 real impediment is wanting to believe that yes I can do this it's worth the effort and I'm willing to go on this journey. Yeah, lovely, so powerful. I have one final question before we talk about um, what you're up to here in Australia shortly. Um, I'm sure our listeners are dying to know what they can do for their mitochondria. Have you got one or two or key or three key strategies that you could share with us? So uh, to restore your mitochondria, uh, you, ha- you want to stop poisoning them. Uh, 
Mm. So uh, try and get your diet as clean as possible. Uh, I'd get rid of the sugar. Uh, You'll need uh, plenty of fat because the mitochondria are a lot of membranes uh, in those mitochondria. If you remember in your biology, there's a lot of uh, squeal lines in the middle. All of that are membranes. And so we need a lot of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. So we need uh, healthy fats for those mitochondria, and you need B vitamins. And for that, nutritional yeast and organ meats and greens are uh, some of your best sources for that. Yeah, beautiful. Amazing. I love what you do, and we're all so grateful that you've been such a, I guess, a leader in this space and that you've obviously been able to transform your health and then help so many more people. You're obviously in Australia very soon. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're up to with your Transform Your Health Tour? So I'm going to be in Melbourne. I'll be in Sydney uh, and I'll be doing a couple of public events uh, in each uh, location. Uh, And I'll be talking about how to use this to improve your health overall. And then in the afternoon, there's the session where we really dive in a little bit more intensively for autoimmunity and neurological problems uh, uh, in particular. Uh, I, I think um, it'll be transformative, uh, and it will really give people, I think, a much better appreciation for just how much is in their control that could have a phenomenal impact on improving their health uh, and the quality of their lives. Beautiful. And that it's affordable. It's affordable, you know? Yeah, I think, again, a really important message. So we're really looking forward to having you here. Um, There's also a live stream for those that obviously can't get to the Melbourne or Sydney events. The website is drterrywallslive.com. So I'll put that link in the show notes. I also want to let our listeners know that we have a number of tickets to give away. So that information is going to be available on our Facebook page over at The Natural Nutritionist. So if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Walls, which I highly recommend, um, please make sure you head to the show notes and get involved so that you can have a chance at winning a ticket or two. Um, Dr. Dr. Walls, it was so amazing to speak with you today. I'd love to give you the space to add any final words and obviously direct our listeners to learn more about your books as well. Yes. So uh, people can come to my website, terrywalls.com. Uh, there they can learn more uh, about the books uh, and get some more information about the research that I'm doing. Uh, and I just want to remind everyone that if I can come back from really very profound disability to a full and active life, uh, whatever your health challenges are, uh, you should feel optimistic that there's plenty of reason to be hopeful for your circumstances as well. So, so amazing. Thank you so much. Team Melbourne event is April 21st and Sydney is May 5. So make sure you act Act quick at drterrywallslive.com. Thank you again for your time and I look forward to catching up when you're in Melbourne. Sounds great. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.